Good morning, everyone, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a vision for you big book study. My name is Leah, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Today is Monday, September 10th, 2012, and today we're reading from the big book. We're in the chapter entitled, There is a Solution. You'll find us on page 23 at the first paragraph. Today's readers are Penny E., Judy B., Carol P., and Fran, thank you very much. And the reference number for yesterday's meeting, 2982. That was a step two panel. 2982 is the share code for that meeting. OA Preamble, Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who through shared experience, strength, and hope are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose OA's fifth tradition states each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that people who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and the 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now call on Melanie to read the 12 steps. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, everyone. My name is Melanie, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater here in Minnesota. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us and the power to carry that out. Twelve, Having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Thank you for letting me share, and with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Melanie. I will now call on Kim to read the 12 Traditions. The 12 Traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, 
For our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are for trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop eating compulsively. Four, each group should be autonomous except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Alcoholics Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues, Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and film. Twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all of our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you. How our meeting works, our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the Big Book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing, and that you keep your share to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star 1 to unmute. Once you are done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study in the big book. We're in the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 23. We're going to begin with that first full paragraph, please. And I'll ask Penny E. to begin. Thank you. Thank you, Leah. Good morning, everybody. My name is Penny E., a recovered compulsive overeater. These observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. If you ask him why he started on the last bender, the chances are he will offer you any one of a hundred alibis. Sometimes these excuses have certain plausibility but none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates. They sound like the philosophy of the man who, having a headache, beats himself on the head with a hammer so that he can't feel the ache. If you draw this fallacious reasoning to the attention of an alcoholic, he will laugh it off 
or become irritated and refuse to talk. And I'm going to pass. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Would anyone like to comment on what was read? This is Julia. I'd like to share. Julia, go ahead. Thank you. And uh, uh, I've heard this so many times that uh, uh, our thinking, uh, uh, we don't have a problem drinking, we have a problem thinking because we put down uh, the food or the alcohol uh, in this book. And uh, uh, we put it down, but unless we can work the steps, He's something to get his mind rolling out of its own head. <laughs> uh, then, you know, uh, we're, we're much better off than we can see and uh, realize what the big book is uh, trying to tell us. Um, and uh, uh, it's really true if you ask someone why did they take that last vendor uh, uh, to have a million excuses. And they're not reasons, they're excuses. And uh, that was so horrible for me to learn. And I had to, uh, uh, they they got rid of my excuses, and it was still like that, so I had to take a real good look at it. Thank you for letting me share. I passed. Thank you for sharing. Would anybody else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Katie. Katie, go ahead. Hi, I'm Katie, a compulsive overeater, and this paragraph to me is saying that um, it's reiterating the fact that self-knowledge avails us nothing. We stay in our head and we think about all the reasons to drink or all the reasons not to drink. Um, You know, you think that with all the experience of the pain of, of everything that's gone on that you would be able to talk yourself out of it. But this is just moving us towards the idea that um, it's a spiritual problem. It's not, it's, our brains are not going to ever convince us that we need to not do this. If I just stay in my head, I will talk myself into anything. Uh, The problem has to come has to go out of my head and into my heart. I have to get out of my own head, out of my own way, because really in the end of my eating, there was no, there was no pausing between my picking up the food and what was going on in my head. I mean, I didn't want to be eating it, and yet I kept picking up the food. There wasn't this big, even a debate going on. And so it really, it takes a power greater than yourself to get you to stop taking that first bite. And as that first line says, it would be academic if we never picked up the food, but we do. And that's what we're learning here. It's how to stop taking that first bite. That'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Anyone else like to comment on this important paragraph? This is Paula, may I share? Please, go ahead. 
on that line, sometimes, not all times, but sometimes, these excuses, what's an excuse, a defense of an action, have a certain plausibility. Sometimes it seems right. But then what does it say that none of them really make sense in the light of the havoc an alcoholic's drinking bout creates? I started in the motion. It says, if there's anything left to drink over, I'm going to drink over anything, honey. In the beginning, it may be the excuse. It sounds a little plausible. Yeah, she was so sad, poor thing. Oh, she was so happy, poor thing. Oh, that rain, it was terrible. John, got a flat tire. Yeah, we got him. We got him lined up. If there's anything left to drink over, I'm going to drink over any of them. Thank you for allowing me to share. With that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. My name's Leigh Amo, Recovered Compulsive Overeater. Uh, this is such an important paragraph because what the big book is teaching us here says these observations would be academic and pointless if our friend never took the first drink, thereby setting the terrible cycle in motion. Therefore, the main problem of the alcoholic centers in his mind rather than his body. Exactly. I mean, we all know people that have uh, allergies, you know, allergies to shellfish, allergies to peanuts. You know, they... They have an abnormal reaction when they ingest those foods. It actually causes them some discomfort, some pain, some suffering. So what do they do? Well, they don't eat those (laughs) items anymore, right? Uh, People who are allergic to peanuts, they just don't eat peanuts anymore. End of problem. But here it's telling me that for me, a real compulsive overeater, the main problem of the alcoholic or the Uh, centers in his mind rather than in his body, meaning that that's where the true insanity lies because even after all the damage that compulsive overeating does to you and I, even after all the medical consequences that occur, even after all the frustration and all the misery and and the pain uh, that comes along with our disease, we still go out and pick up that first bite. And that occurs when we're abstinent. That is the insanity that the big book is honing in on here. That's what powerless means. A situation where you have no defense against the first bite. Against the first bite. We have that strange, peculiar way of thinking about food that is different from normal people. And it forces out all thoughts to the contrary. Our pain has no memory. Our suffering has no memory. And we will come up with the most plausible excuses for doing such a thing. Um, you know, we, we, you know, we come up with the most um, plausible excuses thinking that we have, you know, some reason for picking up. And, and, you know, just like with the alcoholic, alcohol has burned an alcoholic over and over and over again. Just like I use that example of a hot stove burning my fingers. You know, I remember the pain of that hot flame burning my fingers, right? But for some strange reason, left to my own resources in the disease of compulsive overeating, I can't remember what that first bite does to me. Instead, I get to thinking about what that first bite is going to do for me. 
I get to thinking about that great sense of ease and comfort that's going to come by taking a couple of bites. And the next thing you know, that obsession of the mind has convinced me that it's okay to pick up that first bite. That is the real problem of a real compulsive overeater. That is the real problem. It centers in the mind rather than in the body. And with that, I pass. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Leah, this is Susan. I'd like to share, please. Go right ahead. Thank you. Um, This is right where I am right now, today, last night. Oh, my God, and to hear this this morning, this is wonderful. You know, I, I do the same thing over and over, and I expect a different result. And the problem is my mind is telling me it's okay to do something. I shared yesterday on the phone that I have some night eating problems, and it's so clear to me that it's because of my lack of power, the lack of my um, working this program to the best of my ability. I'm in the middle of a fourth step, and I keep thinking, oh, my God, how bad I was, how bad I was. And, and in doing this, it's just feeding my mind that I need something to calm me down. And the only thing that I know and I'm hearing here for the last month and a half, two months is that it's going to be a power outside of myself. And sometimes it's really scary for me. But when I write this down and I hear all you talk, um, I, I, I want what you have. I don't want to keep repeating this insane um, behaviors. So I'm grateful to be here, and I'm grateful, grateful, grateful that we're reading this paragraph this morning. Thanks. Thank you. Glad you're here. Okay, we're going to move on to the next paragraph, please, with Judy B. Press star one to unmute. Judy B. This is Judy B. from Massachusetts, recovered compulsive overeater. Once in a while, he may tell the truth, and the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Some drinkers have excuses with which they are satisfied part of the time, but in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. But they often suspect they are down for the count. Another beautiful paragraph explaining to us that excuses don't work. I mean, excuses are the reasons, the explanations, the, the justifications, the rationalizations, all of the things we tell ourselves are that that food will <clears throat> that food will make things better you know we come up with anything anything that happens in our lives anything at all you know if we feel hurt if we feel confused if we're angry if we're uncomfortable if we're upset if we just can't take it anymore whatever the reason if we use it to take that first compulsive bite we're we're sunk we cannot do that. 
And the reason we cannot do that is because we're compulsive overeaters. And once we take that first bite, we're gone again. And so when we, when we come to, to knowing that food is not the answer, you know, that our higher power is, when we, when we go to our higher power with those feelings, that, that is how things will change. And, and before that, the obsession is there, strong, strong in our mind. And uh, as we've said before, when the obsession is there, we can't, we can't think about the past. We don't remember all of the, the destruction that it caused us. And, and we, we take that bite, and then, you know, you can't be, you know, you're just, you're beaten. After you take that bite, you just, you're in the cycle again. And um, so we somehow have to come to the realization that food is not the answer for any of these uncomfortable feelings that we have or any of these situations that we find ourselves in. And, and as was said before, as long as there is an excuse which gives us permission to eat, we, we, we're, we're not on this great road to recovery. We have got to know that there are no excuses which will, which will work. No, we have to use our our dependence on our higher power at that point. Food is not the answer. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Judy. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute, please. Hi, this is Fran. Go ahead, Fran. Hi, I'm Fran F. from South Jersey. Uh, this really hit me this morning because I am a relapser, recomback, or whatever you want to say, from 19, excuse me, 1976, and I've been back in the rooms for the past maybe two or three months, and I just took got a sponsor yesterday, and I have been thinking in my sick mind how I'm going to get around doing my food plan with her, and this paragraph really hit me really hit me. I must be honest and know that I cannot have my binge foods. I know exactly what they are, and I know that I cannot play play the game, the game of the sick compulsive overeater. I want to recover, and I thank you so much for being there for me to share this. Thank you, Fran. And I pass, and I pass. Thank you. Anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Kim. Kim, your turn. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. But in their hearts, they really do not know why they do it. Once this malady has a real hold, they are a baffled lot. Wow, I was so baffled. You know, when I was young and kids would tease me, I would come home and I would pick up certain foods, and I would. I would get that ease and comfort. You know, when I got in arguments with my parents and they, I was so angry, you know, I could eat that food and it would quell that anger and help me be that good little girl I wanted to be. You know, and I would go out with girlfriends and we would celebrate. The food would help me feel like a part of. It would help me celebrate. It would help me feel like I was one of them. You know, but that's not what was happening anymore. I was so baffled. I was so... Now I couldn't get that. It was 20 seconds of ease and comfort, and then 
the best I could hope for was just to be numb, just to have the anesthesia. I didn't know why I did it. It wasn't working anymore, so why do I keep doing it? You know, in my 20s, I went to a doctor, and he diagnosed me morbidly obese. He told me that the reason my knees hurt was because of the extra weight. I was getting hot flashes in my 20s because my blood pressure was spiking. You know, that, that these medical consequences that I was having was, wasn't some strange malady. It wasn't some strange foreign disease. I was obese. I couldn't stop eating. And I was baffled. Why do I do this over and over again? I know the consequences, but I couldn't stop. I didn't know why I did it. I couldn't explain it. I, my, I was so such an intelligent person. I could overcome so many things in my life. Why couldn't I figure this out? So there is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. I will figure this out. I will lose the weight, and then I'll get a boyfriend. I will lose the weight, and then people will, will respect me. I will lose the weight, and my emotions will come under control. Because it, in my mind, if I could stop eating, all my problems would go away. I didn't understand that I had a disease that required me to eat once I started picking up certain foods. I had a disease that even when I could get up that willpower to stop, that I had a mind that told me the only thing that's going to make you feel better, the only way you're going to cope with life, the only thing that makes sense is to pick up that first strength. So I was such a baffled lot until I understood that this disease only has one solution, and that is a higher power, and that these steps will break away those blockages to help me get back that connection with a higher power. And when that happens, I will become recovered. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Anyone else like to comment? You'll need to press star one to unmute. This is Christy. Christy, your turn. Good morning, everyone. This is Christy, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, I told myself for years, for years, that the reason that I took that first bite was because I really liked food. I really, really, really liked food. But that did not explain why I sometimes ate things that I didn't really like that much. Why I ate frozen food that should have been cooked, that wasn't quite unthawed yet because I couldn't wait. Why I ate food that was sometimes a little bit burned and I just picked the burned part out and I just ate around it. That did not explain why I abused myself decade after decade with food. That did not explain that. And it wasn't until I was exposed to these rooms and this book, this book that said I had two problems, a twofold problem. I had, I had an obsession of the mind and an allergy of the body, an obsession of the mind that would not, would not, was relentless. It was relentless and I was imprisoned by it. And an allergy of the body meaning that I had an abnormal reaction to food, any food, any food. I mean, you know, I mean, once I took that first bite, sugar, fat, flour, volume, whatever, anything that wasn't nailed down, I ate. And for me, um, you know, I played a game for years. You know, this other part here that says the obsession is somehow, someday, they will beat the game. And what was the game? The game for me was, the game for me 
that, you know, I made up was that I was going to be able to eat whatever I wanted. I was going to be able to eat everything that wasn't nailed down. I was going to be able to eat everything that, you know, everything in sight. I was going to be able to eat until I was miserable and felt like I would explode and not suffer the consequences. That was my game. I'm going to be able to eat everything I want and not suffer the consequences. The problem is that game that I made up the rules for that I couldn't even follow um, didn't work, didn't work for me, did not work for me. And it wasn't until I, I was pushed to the point where I didn't want to play anymore. I did not want to play anymore. I did not want to wake up miserable, miserable in my own mind. Christy, we lost you there. Press star one to unmute. So for me, just stopping that, stopping that um, cycle, I mean, that's all I needed to do was just stop. I just needed to stop. There's no magic. You know, there's no, you know, aha moment here except that I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. That was it. I got sick and tired of being sick and tired. And I just needed to stop eating. That was it. it basically, there's no magic. Just stop eating. And then dig into this book. Dig into this book and take care of the greater aspect of your disease. And, you know, I'm just so grateful to say that, you know, yesterday I had 11 years of back-to-back -back abstinence through all, abstinence through all life has thrown my way. Way in those 11 years and I've been maintaining the same weight for nine and a half years and that's coming from someone who was utterly hopeless from a seemingly hopeless you know I suffered from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body and today I am recovered and that is nothing short of a miracle that I am so grateful for and do not take for granted and with that I'll pass thank you Christy anyone else like to comment on this paragraph Press star one on mute. This is Leah, I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Very important part of the book, you know, because if we keep thinking that uh, mere elimination um, of our binge foods is enough, well, then we don't understand the grave nature of our illness. Um, because our real problem centers in our mind. Our real problem is this obsession that they're talking about. There is the obsession that somehow, someday, they will be, beat the game. That's our real problem, because if we don't believe that we have this mental obsession, there's no reason for the steps. There's no reason for the steps. We're in a chapter entitled, There is a Solution, and you'll recall step two. Step two came to believe that a power greater than ourselves, could restore us to sanity. Well, if we need to be restored to sanity, um, that's, that's implying that we're insane. Um, and the insanity that the big book is talking about is not the insanity of, you know, 10 bites in and, and feeling kind of um, numbed out and in a stupor from, from excess eating. No, the insanity that the big book is talking about is this mental obsession that this time it will be different. This time I can pick up that first bite. It's not going to hurt me. This time I'm going to be able to handle it. 
This time it will be different. Um, that is really the obsession of the mind. That is the insanity. The insanity. While we are abstinent, comes a time, comes a day when we make a decision based on a lie. And the lie is that this time we'll be able to beat the game. This time it won't hurt us. Um, and and more than that, we take action on that lie. We actually pick up. And this mental obsession keeps giving us permission to pick up that first bite. It's like our pain has no memory. My my pain had no memory. It didn't matter that I went to bed uh, with tears streaming down my cheeks, vowing I am not going to binge my brains out again. I'm not going to self-destruct like this again. It did not matter because the next day or the next few days, uh, you know, there would come a time when I wanted to seek the ease and comfort. The real problem is in my mind because it convinces me I can eat that stuff, that I can indulge in those eating behaviors. That is the real problem. And if we don't believe that we have that mental obsession, there is no reason for the steps. What the steps do is take away that mental obsession and substitute for that mental obsession a spiritual awakening a sense of harmony with the universe, harmony with ourselves, harmony with others, harmony with God, and a unity with life that allows us to become sane again, restored to sanity. Through our own personal success? <laughs> Absolutely not. Through the, a power greater than ourselves, restoring us to sanity. With that, I pass. Anyone else want to comment before we move on? Press star one. This is Paula. Monica. Paula and then Monica. Thank you. Thank you. This would be Paula, recovered compulsive reader. It says, once this malady, and Mr. Daniel Webster says, what is a malady? Any disease of the human body, moral or mental disorder. There isn't nothing it will leave out. What are you going to fight it with? And it says, once this malady has a real hold, William James also says, it binds you and blinds you. Honey, it holds you tight. It holds you so tight. And you can't see either. They are a baffled lot. What else could they be but baffled? There is the obsession. That's a persistent attack. It doesn't stop. Think it stops when you feel good for a change, when you're absent for a change. Are you doing it even, hey, day in and day out? I've been absent now three weeks. So now you think, oh, no, persistent attack. It'll get you that somehow, someday, they will beat the game. There ain't no beating this game. There's no beating this game on your own. When you've tried it long enough and hard enough, and I did, and it says, but they often suspect. They know down deep. They know that they're down for the count. Thank you for allowing me to share, and with that, I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Monica, please. Good morning, Leah. Thank you very much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Monica, a recovered compulsive overeater. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. Once in a while, he may tell the truth. You know, we are uh, we're very, very, very dishonest people here in our disease. And it says here, and once in a while, he may um, um, he may have a little moment there of truth. 
And the truth, strange to say, is usually that he has no more idea why he took that first drink than you have. And I remember being there, not having a clue. Why? Why had I picked up again? And on where are are having lots and lots of excuses, you know, there was always always an excuse, a reason for for picking this picking the food up. But then it got to the point that I didn't have any more excuses. I really didn't know why when I first came into the program and I was trying to, you know, work this learn this program and work it and I kept picking up. Now I had a little knowledge under my belt, but I couldn't tell you why I continued to pick up food. Why was that? And like Leah said so nicely here, that the main problem is in our brain. Our brain is telling us that it's okay. It'll be different this time. You know, isn't this powerlessness? When we get to the point we don't even know why we've taken that first drink, is this not insanity? This is the obsession of the mind. We are powerless. And we ask this chapter, there is a solution, is with step two. We came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. We're learning here that we are insane, that we have this obsession of the, of the mind. And it is so powerful, it will convince us every single time that this is just the best idea I've had all day or in a week or in a month to pick up this food. Powerlessness. And this is why we need a power greater than us that can um, overcome this. A power that is God who can do this for us. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. We're going to move on now to the next paragraph with Carol P., please. Good morning, Leah. Good morning, A Vision for Youth. Carol P., a recovered compulsive overeater. How true this is, few realize, in a vague way, their families and friends sense that these drinkers are abnormal. But everybody hopefully awaits the day when the sufferer will arouse himself from his lethargy and assert his power of will. And... um, I think sometimes my family and friends saw me more clearly than I saw myself because I was in a fog uh, at almost 300 pounds. I told myself, well, I'm really not that bad. Um, And they awaited the day uh, when I would get it together because I was dying right in front of their eyes. Um, But the only thing I was going to arouse myself up for was another bite um, and, and assert willpower well i did not uh, in the progression of the disease uh, willpower was less and less and it was non-existent uh, lack of power definitely was my problem i needed a power greater than myself to restore me to sanity that's for sure and um i got that in this program and uh, with that i pass thank you thank you carol anyone else like to comment on this paragraph press star 1 this is janice janice go ahead Good morning, Leah. Good morning, Vision for You. My name is Janice. I am a recovered compulsive overeater. You know, how true this is, how true this is, they often suspect they are down for the count. But friends and family who are watching, you know, it says they sense 
somehow that this can't be normal. This can't be normal. That somehow what their loved one is doing just is not normal. But they they hope against hope. They hope against hope that somehow this, this person that they love dearly, this friend, will be able to somehow pull their will back from the gates of insanity or death and do something about this problem. But, you know, this paragraph right before says, you know, they, we are baffled a lot because in our hearts, we don't even know why we do it anymore. You know, Bill W. talks about the language of the heart, and that's how we reach each other. But in this disease, we lose touch with that language of the heart. We lose touch with that part of ourselves. It's, been, it's hidden, it's covered, it's buried, and we can't know that anymore, that part of ourselves. Are we bad people? No. We suffer from an illness, from a disease which only a spiritual experience will conquer. And that, that place where we can finally get to, where we don't know anymore why we do it, and we're desperate to stop, and we're willing to look at anything, willing to look at this solution, this solution, which might not have been too appealing at one time, but you get desperate enough, and it begins to look like hope to you. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Anyone else like to come in on this paragraph? Press star one to unmute. Okay, then we'll read the next paragraph with Fran. Fran, please. Thank you. Fran, you'll need to press star one to unmute. Penny E., are you available to read the next paragraph, please? Yes, I am. Thank Can you, you hear me? Okay. I do. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in his drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is absolutely no avail. This tragic situation has already arrived in practically every case long before it is suspected. And I'm going to pass. Thank you, Penny. Who would like to comment on this paragraph? Hi, this is Kim. Kim, go ahead. This is Katie. Um. Hi, everyone. My name is Kim. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. You know, I still remember in my early in my career, I said, you know, if I want to stop, I'll stop. I just don't really want to stop. If I reach 200 pounds, 
I'll stop. If I reach 250 pounds, I'll stop. If I get diabetes, I'll stop. I put all these things if I stop. But each as each of those things happened, I still couldn't stop. You know, the most powerful desire to stop drinking. You know, when you, if you are a true alcoholic, if you are a real compulsive overeater, this allergy of the body is beyond our control. You know, it's kind of like if somebody is allergic to strawberries and they break out in a rash and telling that person, I want you to eat those strawberries, but I don't want you to break out in a rash. You can control that. And that's what I was thinking. I thought I had this desire. I can have one of this binge food. And then I realized I can't have one of that binge food. I'm just not going to have it. And the most powerful desire that I had absolutely could not stop me. And that's why I didn't understand that powerlessness, the inability to stop, was not at the third donut. It was in that moment before I had that first bite when the mind was telling me, this time will be different. It doesn't matter the physical consequences. It doesn't matter that, I, that last night I cried myself to sleep because I, I couldn't stop eating. It doesn't matter that I, I'm alone and, and all the things I got out of, out of eating are no longer there, that the best I could hope for was just to be numb. It doesn't matter because this tragic situation of this cycle of the allergy of the body and the obsession of mind has already arrived in practically every case long before it was suspected. I am now the pickle. And that, that idea that I can come back and be that cucumber is gone. It's absolutely gone. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Katie, please. Okay, I'm back. Uh, this is Katie, a compulsive overeater. And I was just going to say that... Um, even from this, the previous paragraph, the, it's true, strange to say, usually he has no more idea why he took the first drink than you have. And it goes uh, on to say at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes in a, a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. And some people stay in that vicious cycle for, you know, a very short time. And then they're like, wait a minute, I, I need to stop. You know, I think that some people don't even hit the bottoms that we hit that need this program day after day for years and years and forever. Um, but we're not like that. I'm not that person. I, you know, when I was in my teens, I could say, oh, yes, I, I ate because, you know, someone was mean to me or, you know, I was disappointed or, or these different things that happened. But I crossed that line where I had no idea why I was picking up the food. And there was no turning back. I couldn't then start dieting and, and think that, you know, okay, well, if I just lose the weight, then I'll be fine. No, I, I crossed that line to where my eating made no sense whatsoever. And there's no turning back. I, um, I could not recapture that uh, even... <laughs> high of dieting. I, I couldn't get back to that point where I had some semblance of control. And I couldn't pinpoint why I stopped, um, stopped the diet, why I picked up the food. There was no thought. It just happened. So, um, you know, like it says here, that it's tragic. It's a tragic truth 
that if you are a real compulsive overeater of the hopeless variety like I was, that uh, I will never be able to figure it out on my own. That knowledge doesn't exist. All the information in the world could not convince me to not pick up that first bite. That power had to come from outside of myself. It had to come from a higher power, and it's not me. Um, I tried to make people my higher power. I tried to do what they did, and even that wasn't enough. I couldn't just, you know, get the information of other people. Uh, Once I was abstinent and God had taken over my life and I really was surrendered, then, yes, I can listen to what other people have to say. And when I'm baffled in my life today, I do trust other people. But when I was still on the food, I couldn't muster up the willpower to do what you were doing. I could not do it. I tried for so many years to do what other people were telling me to do. And even with all that information, I could not stop taking the first bite. And it only got worse. It just it got so much worse. And I can't imagine what it would be like today after decades of abstinence to go back to the food Um, because my eating was in the rooms. I was in the rooms. I had all this. I had a head full of knowledge about what to do, but I could not put down the food. And that power had to come from outside of myself, from a higher power. And I'm so grateful that I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? It's Monica. This is Paula. Monica, please. Thank you, Leah. The tragic truth is that if the man be a real alcoholic, the happy day may not arrive. He has lost control. At a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. I think this is a very, very important little paragraph here. They're giving us here, what is a real alcoholic? What is a real compulsive overeater? Two things. You have lost control. And the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Is this true for me? Now, important question to ask ourselves here. Yes. My answer was yes. Once I started, I couldn't stop. And when I stopped, I couldn't stay stopped. And here it's saying, if I have these things, I'm a real compulsive overeater. I am powerless. So the big book here is telling me what my problem is. And I must understand this, this lack of ability to to not pick up that first bite. You know, that lack of soundness of mind, powerlessness, and that I need a power greater than myself. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Monica. I believe I heard Paula. Press star one to unmute. Would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Janice. Paula and then Janice, please. It is quite a shot paragraph, but look at what it says. At a certain point, 
When does that point come? I don't know what it is for you. But finally, the point of desperation, in the drinking of every alcoholic, he passes. Now, he's gone from one place to another, into a state that's a certain condition, where the most powerful desire to stop drinking. Now he finally, you want to stop. I want to stop. I'm finally seeing now. Wait a minute. Is of absolutely, this is it. I want to now. It's having its repercussions now. Now I am diabetic. Now I have osteoporosis. Now I have this. Now I can't wake up in the morning. And I can't go to sleep at night. There's absolutely no avail. What's an avail? It's to be of use. To be of use. An answer. To promote. But look at, before that word avail, there is no. There is the word no. There is nothing that I can use. There is no answer. There's nothing I can uh, promote. And then it says, there it is, this tragic situation. And that's it. You didn't even know. It's already arrived. It's here now. In practically every case, long before it is suspected, didn't know it was going to bring me there. That's where it brings you every time. Thank you for allowing me to share with that. I do pass. Thank you, Paula. Janice. Thank you, Leah. Thank you very much. You know what? This I, I agree the the power of this paragraph. Because what happens? What happens to the real alcoholic? The real alcoholic will not recover by himself. You know, those friends and family, because it says it's a tragic truth that Despite the fact that everyone is wanting this, if the man is a real alcoholic, that happy day will not arrive and he will not be able to assert his will and stop this behavior. Because what has happened? If he is a real alcoholic, he's passed into a state. And what is that state? It's a state of mind. You know, we were taught here in this big book that it centers in the mind rather than in the body. The main problem centers in the mind. And so this real alcoholic has now passed into that state of, state of mind, into that state of mind where the most powerful desire to stop means nothing. And I was in that place. And if you're a real compulsive overeater like I am, perhaps you've come to that place as well, that state of mind where no matter how hard you try, Today is going to be different. Today is going to be different. It's never different. Today's a Monday, so it has to be different. But it's never different. Because that state of mind of the real alcoholic, the real compulsive overeater, my thinking cannot save me anymore. My thinking cannot save me anymore. And what a great place to be at because then the solution is possible. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you, Janice. Yes, my name is Leah. I'm a real compulsive overeater. He has lost control at a certain point in the drinking of every alcoholic. He passes into a state where the most powerful desire to stop drinking is of absolutely no avail. Um, You know, the big book teaches us that we have this utter inability to leave it alone no matter how great the necessity or the wish. 
I had the necessity. I certainly did. I mean, I was obese. I had medical consequences due to that obesity. I had high cholesterol. I had high blood pressure. I had shortness of breath. Um, I was suffering. I was a young person. You know, I was in my early 20s. I had mental torture. I had emotional turmoil going on, isolation. I had separated myself from people. I was in a deep depression. I had suicidal thinking. I had the wish. I had the necessity, but that was not enough. And I would cry real tears as I got into bed. What's wrong with me? Why do I eat like this? Why can't I stop? You know, and I would make vows to change, and I would promise that I would change. Um, you know, and when I said I wasn't going to do that anymore, when I said I wasn't going to act like that anymore, when I said I wasn't going to binge like that anymore, I really meant it. And then I ate again and again and again and again. You know, and what the big book is, is really pounding in here is if you no longer can safely eat your binge foods because of the allergy of the body, but you can't stay abstinent because of the obsession of the mind, wow, you're cornered. I was cornered. I was powerless. Powerlessness. Powerlessness. That's what it means to be a real compulsive overeater. Allergy of the body, obsession of the mind. Left to my own resources, left to my own intelligence, my own knowledge, my own experience, left to my determination, left to any amount of willpower I could muster up. I could not conquer the obsession of the mind. I could not conquer the obsession of the mind because of powerlessness. And with that, we're going to close this meeting today. Thank you to everyone who participated this morning. Thank you to everyone who shared. We will now close with the reading from the big book on page 164, followed by the serenity prayer. Judy B., could you do that reading for us, please? Uh, Good morning. This is Judy B. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand God. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit, and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then.